Welcome to the Performance Connection Podcast, the show where we connect you to the highest quality information and leading professionals in the world of human performance. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Performance Connection Podcast. Today I'm joined by uh, Justin Lima. Justin, how are you doing? Good. How are you, brother? I'm doing great. Great. Excited to have you on today. I'm glad we could uh, make it work. So before we dive into today's topic, why don't you go ahead and tell the listener who you are, what you've done educationally and what you've done professionally and what you're doing today. Yeah. So thanks for having me on, Corey. My name is uh, Justin Lima. I worked in college athletics for 14 years. I most recently got out of college athletics after being the director of football performance at Towson University. I was there for six off seasons and most recently ended when they hired the new head football coach. And you know how that works in college athletics. When there's a new head football coach, every person gets changed over. So every coordinator, every position coach and myself all were turned over for the new staff. And my wife and I kind of saw it as a uh, blessing from God's timing being better than our timing that it was time to sit back and truly figure out like, where do we want to live? What do we want to do? And that in addition to, I had been doing stuff at Strength Coach Network since May of 2020 from Keir Winham Flat, who is one of the smartest human beings I've ever gotten the privilege of working with and being around. Before I was doing anything Strength Coach Network and at Towson, I was an assistant strength coach at Iowa. So I was there from 2013 to 2018. I was a part of the undefeated regular season, Rose Bowl team, a ton of draft picks. So anybody listening to this in the NFL, if you're familiar, like George Kittle's a really big name in the NFL. George did not surprise us with what he did because of how freaky he was or Tristan Wirfs or Epinesa or Josie Jewell, like Desmond King, right? He won the Thorpe Award in 2015. Like the dude's been playing out of his mind forever. Then before Iowa, I was at the University of Maryland with the Terrapins. So again, I got to see Stefan Diggs play football. Yeah. Stefan Diggs' freshman year was the first year I was on campus. And I say all this not to say that I'm the reason these kids were successful. I was just really fortunate to be able to see how high-level athletes train. And then what I just do is I hold the athletes I work with now to that same standard. It's like, listen, you say you want to be X. Well, guess what? I've seen X. And this is what X does. You know what I mean? So before I was at Maryland, I was at the university or Harvard University with his James Frazier and Tim Mullen, the two directors there. Can't speak highly enough about them. I would not be where I am without them. And then finally, my offensive line coach, Rainey Moyen from Bridgewater. I was a former offensive lineman, D3 All-Star, and he got me bigger, faster, stronger, showed me the weight room. I was originally a criminal justice undergrad. He, I learned about, oh, I could get paid to work in the weight room as a college strength coach. Didn't know it existed. So I got my master's in criminal justice and then the PhD in health and human performance. Oh, so you have your master's in criminal justice. No. Oh. So I have my undergrad in criminal oh, justice. Okay. Master's was actually in strength and conditioning because Bridgewater had a really, like they had a good program. It's not as well known as Springfield, but it's. I think they could eventually get to that level if Dr. Robinson is still there. But then I got the PhD in health and human performance afterwards. So I felt like ever since once I switched majors in 2009, I felt like I was playing catch up and I had to just that kind of started me on my obsessive path. Yeah. Because you got real interested and you had to go. Just Well, I felt like everybody had a four year head start on me. So I was like, shut up and just go to work. 
So I feel like the PhD is not something a lot of people may know about. I know it's, I think it's on your Twitter handle, right? But it might be. I don't remember. Seriously, I don't know. I really don't know. But I'm not joking. But you are. Okay. I know it's in my Insta. I think it's in okay. my Instagram okay. one. But I don't. You know. are Doctor Justin. Yeah. I so, am. Uh, yeah. what was your dissertation? Reactive strength index and force velocity profiling for Division One football athletes. Ooh. Okay. Can you tell us a little more about that? What What did you look at? What did yeah, you find? Yeah. So I'll tell you what I found is that it's your athletes are more novice than you realize, and they don't need a specialized training. Okay. That's okay. what I found. And I found that college and professional teams and high school teams, when you don't actually use a control group, you are skewed. You don't really understand what you're doing. And this all came from an anecdotal study that we ran at Iowa. So I was, again, really fortunate to work at Iowa at the time. It was myself, Joel Welsh, Cody Myers, Nick DeMarco, Mark Weissman as the five slapdicks, right? Because (laughs) Doyle was always in charge and then Ray was second in charge. You knew Doyle and Ray weren't going anywhere, but like you rose from like the fifth, fourth to the third. So if you could be the third, second assistant, like you were in charge, right? The five of us, you know, Joel was his director at Central Michigan, DeMarco's an assistant AD at Elon. Cody's the assistant director at Iowa. I was the assist. I was the director at Towson. Yeah. At Towson and then Weissman is in charge of minor league baseball for the Cubs, but he was a director. So we had a really good room and we all pushed each other and we learned things. And we were the ones that kind of introduced RSI and force velocity profiling to Doyle. And so what we did was we just, we would drop jump the athletes and we had a number and what we did, what I liked better from what we did there than what I had to do in my dissertation, I had to use the metric of 1.4 meters per second as the cutoff. Cause that's what the prior literature sure. had. If you want to do a study, if you want to do your passion project, don't do it for your dissertation. You need to have lots of prior, like you need over a hundred resources or a hundred references. So you don't do your passion project for your dissertation. Do a kind of tried and true to get your feet wet, prove that you can do research, then go do your passion project. Anyways, what we did at Iowa was we took like the group, we broke them up line semi skill. So semis are your hybrids, whatever you want to call them. And the group average, anybody above it, so they were in the, they were, let's give them more force. Everybody below it, let's give them more velocity. The problem is we didn't do a control group. So when you then look and you see like, oh, everybody that was in the velocity group got better. Everybody that was in the force group got better. Well, you didn't run a control group to see if the normal training that you were doing also would work. And so you have to do that in a dissertation, Mm -hmm. in a real study. And the control group, also improved. So it it made you kind of realize, okay, when we looked back at the study, how could we run this better? Well, you could A, just completely remove normal, you could remove normal training, but good luck trying to get any group of athletes to do that because now they're not going to train long enough. B, you could make it even more specific. So those that need velocity, everything 80%, 90% should be velocity only. But then you start worrying, okay, as an academic, that makes sense. But as an actual sport coach, high performance manager, I can't do that. I'm doing the athletes a disservice. Or then just finally option C, which I kind of concluded was your athletes aren't as specific as you think. Like they're still really novice and really adapting. So that ended in 2020. And then I left Towson. My last day was June 1st of 2023. I had a fifth year senior who was, he played in the 
He played in the SEC, transferred to Towson, and he still kept getting better year after year in my long-term athletic development, so much so that when I got let go, he was telling the other coaches, look, I hope they understand that whoever they bring in, I want, I'm want. i going to tell them that Lima has me twitched up the best I've ever felt. I know you might not have liked who he is, but his training works. And I say that to be like, look, there's a kid who benched 420, but still was really, he got better doing one by 20. So your athletes are not as advanced as you think they are. Sorry. All right. So I have a few questions on this. So going back to the study or to, to what you looked at, it was was quote unquote better or improvement just measured by improving RSI values? Yeah. So improvement of the drop jumps, because I you could start looking into this different research on can you shift fiber transition from type one to type two? And there's tons of literature out there of if you can or if you can't, and you're looking at muscle biopsy. I don't want to look into muscle biopsy and seeing if we were changing the muscle fibers because of how intricate it was. <laughs> Good luck getting but the athletes can start to, for that. Correct. But it's if you can, okay, if, if you can display better athleticism by getting off the ground faster, jumping higher, you could make the argument that you're kind of transitioning from type one to type two. Let's get into the minutia of it later. So it was, let's look at drop jump performance as to making them more elastic, more explosive, because that is what is needed in the sport of football. And so, yeah, we looked at did individualized force or velocity training for the group that needed it improve their reactive strength index. And that's where we found that the control group too, they still improved by not having the individualized jump training, whether, and what we did for the individualized jump training is we used methods that we used at Iowa, but I wanted to make sure that those methods were repeatable. So if you look into the research, some of the, uh, some of the contraptions that they had for assisted jumps, nobody could do it. Right. If you look at some of the jumping, even some of the jump training they were doing was with these heavy resisted apparatuses pulling you from the ground, or it was even with a Swift machine. And that's not what most coaches yeah, right. have. But when we were at when we were at Iowa, we used assisted jumps, mm-hmm. we used barbell weighted jumps, and then that showed up in the research too. So it's you know what? I'm gonna write my research the same way. Let's figure out how much band tension is on a perform better band when you stretch it, because they actually provide that information for you when you pull it, and then you can measure that as well. So we went with assisted jumps and we progressed and gave them more resistance each time and we gave them more weight. You had to again base it off of prior research. So we used prior weights, just converted it from kilograms into pounds, and that's how we did it. Interesting. So the non-individualized group improved to a same degree too. There was no statistical, there was no statistically significant difference. And that's the thing. So it's like the individualized training group did improve more, but it wasn't statistically significant. So it's the diminishing returns. It's okay. They did improve. It was a little bit more, but if it wasn't statistically significant, then you could almost say the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Let's focus on other metrics. Was it, I guess, real world significant though, because we know that happens too. Correct. Right. Where something might not reach statistical significance, but even that smaller improvements that might not show up statistically could be meaningful. So was it meaningful in your, in your mind or what's your thought on that? Yeah, no, again, my thought on it is because it wasn't statistically significantly meaningful to me, the half of an inch or the point uh, one zero improvement is not significant. No, because if I took someone's RSI from a 1.5 to a 1.6, 
and I did it and I had to spend all this time setting up extra equipment and getting them to do things versus they could have gone from a 1.5 to a 1.55 just doing the normal yeah. training. Let's just do normal training and then let's figure out what is their other limiting factor. Interesting. That's really cool. That's such super it. interesting to me because as someone who was at an NAI school for six years, I didn't, I could, I wanted to do that kind of stuff, measure RSI, individualize. I just could logistically couldn't do it. And I always wanted to try stuff like we had five Tendo units. So we had a decent amount for a small school. And I had got to a point where I thought I would just love to see kind of run internal research. What, what, what would happen in, in certain outcomes with a VBT based group versus a non VBT based group. And I just never did it because yeah, I thought, okay, who's going to supposedly maybe be the quote control group and get the quote unquote less effective training. And then how do you, how do you tell a coach that what's going to happen? So another thought I had was like, well, what if I make the, make the freshmen the control group quote unquote, but then you're thinking about training age and all these other variables and so it, it gets super messy and you're right though. If you don't have a control group, you don't really know if your methods are truly that much better than anything else. And that's where I also, I, I just, I want to make it really clear to the listeners out there. I, I truly believe in individualized training within a team training atmosphere. So I don't want anybody to think that I don't like but what I'm trying to say is it's not as complicated as everybody wants to make it be. And I think that's something that we need to let the pendulum swing the other mm-hmm. way. And I say that kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth where you ask my two assistants and the former interns, like we had seven different training programs because we had our foundation plus refined plus, And then we made a, I called it superior group. And then we had, so that's just the five base categories. Then we had a foundation plus line card refined line card, a refined plus line card, then the superior and foundation, they just stayed. There was no difference anymore at that point. Because to me, like my foundation athletes, regardless of your position, they had to get better at everything. And then within the, once you have kind of a show, it's almost like all right, freshman year, sophomore year, then we can kind of diverge you a little bit and start doing more. Maybe it's static overcome by dynamic or for the lineman, or maybe it's you're going to do more movements with a barbell instead of a dumbbell with alignment. And then that's when you then, okay, third year, junior year, you're refined plus, or excuse me, now you're refined. And maybe now we're introducing conjugate methods and we're using chains and we're using accommodating resistance. Then in year five, we can start to introduce French contrast. And then in that sixth year, yes, then we'll start to introduce truly training you based off of what the velocity based number will show you. Okay. Instead of a a percentage, we're going to train off of this velocity decrement. Or another thing that I would do for those highest superior best athletes of mine, we would have, I would use accommodating resistance, but not only on dynamic effort days, it would be strength days because I had a kid who could bench 440 as a D lineman who was a captain of the team. Well, guess what? If I want him to bench 90%, he's putting on 400 pounds on the bar. And that's really, say what you want. That scares the ever-loving, ever yeah. whatever out of me. Like I'm scared of that because I don't want the athlete to get hurt and I do want to give them a stimulus. And it's like, all right, what if we put 365 on the bar and add some chains? Now he's got 365 at the bottom, still a lot of weight. And now he's actually probably going to get 425 at the top. All right, I, I can sleep with that. You know what I mean? 
how are you measuring progress throughout these years? So you, it seems like you had a pretty set progression overarching model with year one, here's kind of the methods, years two, here's kind of the methods I'm going to rely on. And I'm not getting to these things like French contrast or VBT to determine load of the of bar until year five, six. Were you assess still like kind of keeping tabs on certain ways your athletes are progressing? Or how did you determine, yes, this athlete's ready for this type of training? Maybe this athlete needs to be held back to this type of training. Because that's another thing I always thought of was like, okay, just because you're a sophomore or you're a junior doesn't mean your training age has advanced, but you might still need to be in that training group or the quote unquote, like more simplified basic training. And that's tough for an athlete to like hear because they don't, it is. So talk about that. How did you assess that? And what did you look at? So I'll say it's mixed methods. So again, going back to the PhD, you learn quantitative and qualitative research, but then you also learn mixed methods. And I mean, right now we're at the point, it's Friday, December 8th. There's all this discussion of Republican, Democratic debate. And so it's almost the same thing. It's not just one or the other, in my opinion. It's got to be a little bit of both. It can't just be numbers only and qualitative. It can't only be feelings and qualitative. And that's kind of how I feel like the pendulum has swung too far with strength and conditioning. It's too much, oh, this Nordboard said this or this GPS said this. Like, yes, we had data, all right, when an athlete would come in, the very first thing that we would do, and this goes in conjunction with my head football athletic trainer, Kyle Cherry, who was finally, he stuck around. He was the 14th different athletic trainer I worked with at Towson because oh. all the other ones quit because of the guy who's in the assistant or the associate athletic director of the department was one of the hardest and worst people to work for. People would leave the field. They would literally leave college or athletic training altogether because of how awful of a person this guy was to work for. But Kyle, kudos to him, would actually stay and work with him. And he and I were able to implement this model because Kyle was the man. And what we would do is an athlete would come in, Kyle would take them on their PPE, so their pre-participation exam, and he would take them through an ortho screen. And we would see kind of FRC principles, which everybody, it's like FRC. It's like, really, if you actually take a step back and you kind of watch and apologies, if anybody in the FRC community is listening to this, I love it. I think it's important. I think it's kin stretch is better than yoga because it's kind of science-based yoga rather than the two worlds. I think there's value in it. But if you take a giant step back and you look at it, it's you're just having people move really slow and charging a lot for your seminars. It's kind of funny. And you look at it, but there is value to it. Like one of the things that they say is if your shoulder can't move, you don't have a shoulder. If your hip can't internally rotate, you don't have a hip, but it goes back to the FMS. Oh, well, don't add strength to dysfunction. Well, we just had Kelly Starrett on the show and he's listen, if that was the case, you wouldn't be able to do anything with anybody. And I agree. It's like, look, okay. If that's your limitation, looks like we're just going to do partial range of motion movements and then eventually work you all the way down. So blabbering on saying all of this, that Kyle would take them through a full ortho screen shoulder, figure out how they move. He and I would talk about it. Once they got cleared, we would then kind of apply a similar principle that we had that I learned at Iowa. Week one is all orientation. Let's teach you how to move. And it wasn't even so much I'm going to teach you as I was actually, I flipped it on its head from what we did at Iowa. We taught them everything and they kind of got indoctrinated too quickly, in my opinion. What I did in that first week was let's observe. Let's see. Okay. We're going to break it up. Weight room, two days on the field, two days, and let's see how you move. 
let's truly see. Let's teach you our fundamental movements. So we're gonna you're gonna do a split squat. You're gonna do a bench press. You're gonna do a trap bar deadlift. You're gonna do an RDL. We'll do a hang power snatch. We're gonna do a front jerk. We're gonna do a pull up. You're gonna do a broad jump. You're gonna do a vertical jump. You're gonna do single leg to double leg takeoff. You're gonna do an RSI. You're gonna do a ten yard dash, a fly ten, a forty if you're alignment, a conditioning assessment, and we would have. Gosh, I should know the exact number. I want to say it was somewhere between 18 and 20 different numbers that we would be able to say, okay, this is who this player is on all of these metrics. And we had the averages for everybody at the same position. So the average lineman did, this is this person. And we would have a graph and we'd give it to the coaches. We'd give it to the athletic trainers and we'd say, okay, speaking of statistical significance, instead of being vague, because I'm a psychopath about detail, I'd be able to be like, hey, we did a modification of Kier's tribe test and I would be able to be like, hey, this person scored this on the uh, conditioning test. Literally, they are 13% worse than the average skill player. They're in bad shape. And so what we actually did one time, we brought a kid in as a walk-on. He's a safety and his conditioning test was worse than the average lineman. And the head coach was like, tell the kid that, tell him that's why he's not training with the team for the first week. And he's just going to condition with you so he stays safe so nobody gets hurt. So that's how specific we were with it. And then I also caveat it's okay, during that first week, we'd figure out who they are, how they move. Transfer portal world, you got to win now. How do you balance long-term athletic development with winning yep. now? Okay, if this kid moves in, sure. He might, we had a lot of kids come in that they were actually not that good of lifters. Okay. They're not going to, they're a fifth year trainer. They're not on the superior card. They're just on the refined, which is your third, like that's technically your third year card. So they could feel kind of good about it. And then maybe you move them along a little bit and you play with them and you work with it. So that's how we would go about it with anybody that was new as they moved up. Like, sure. It'd be as we're assessing because training is assessing. And if, Throughout the year, we would run Z scores too. So we would, at the end of the different training times, it'd be okay, take a Z score of all of your different, those same 18 to 20 metrics. We'd take a Z score of your vertical jump, compare it to the peers, and then add up your entire Z score. So we could say, hey, this person has a Z score of plus 26. They're literally the best pound for pound athlete on the team. This person's the worst pound for pound athlete on the team. Rank it, measure it, post it, send it to the athletes, send it to the coaches, send it to the high-performance managers or the high-performance people in the role. So your ATs, your physios, everybody knew. Like, we're not hiding anything. And we did all of that. But at the same time, it wasn't like, oh, you're at 1.3. Because, again, I'm such a stickler and I like to – I can play both sides of the fence. Oh, you're at 1.3 times body weight on your trap bar deadlift. You got to be 1.4 before you can move up. It's really – you telling me that the difference between 1.3 and 1.4 is that big? You know what I mean? Have your ballparks, have your strong enough metrics, yeah. and then you just go from so there. So for anyone who doesn't know what a Z-score is, can you define that real quick? And also just generally how it, how it's calculated? Yeah, so all you would do is you take a Z-score, easiest way to explain it is don't just look at the average. It looks at what the person's score is compared to the group and the standard deviation. If I tell you this sentence right here is going to blow a lot of people's mind, you can drown in a river that is on average two feet deep. And it could be because it is 10 feet wide and it could go one foot deep, one foot deep, one foot deep, all of a sudden drop to 12. 
12 uh, yeah. for another foot. The average depth right. is two. Yes. But there's actually parts of it that is 12. So when you look at, okay, the Z-score takes individual score and it compares it to the group average and the standard deviation with your two bell curves of one standard deviation, two standard deviations, up to three standard deviations. And then your best outliers, plus or minus, are going to be on either side of the bell curve. So it takes all, it takes, again, the individual average, but then it compares it to the standard deviation, how far away from that average they are. Gotcha. So the higher, the better. And that's why when you could add them all up, like that same kid that was talking about how twitched up he was, again, pound for pound, he was a 270 pound, a defensive lineman who was literally pound for pound the best person on the team. Yeah. So I'm assuming this is something anyone can calculate using like Excel or were you using any kind of special? Using Excel. No, we used Excel and I I learned. So again, shout out to Kier, shout out to Scott Kewen, shout out to Strength Coach Network. I was a member before I was owner and operator of it, but I learned about how to calculate a Z-score and use it from Scott's presentation on wellnesses. And I mean, we did wellness questionnaires, Logan Fletcher, was my assistant at Towson. He's still there, but Logan and I, we'd use Scott's same template for figuring out player wellness. In terms of how we calculated our Z-score, we just literally used Microsoft Excel, took the individual, had the group average, copy the formula, take this take this cell divided by here. Here's the standard deviation, input, click and drag. So if anybody listening to this right now, if you email me at justin at strengthcoachnetwork.com, I will send you the exact document that we used at Towson. It's nothing like inside of it. We also, it it did look pretty cool. We color coded it. So that way the person at the top was like red (laughs) or it was green. And then the person in the, it went from red to green to red, best to worst. And and I'll never forget. There was one kid who's a transfer quarterback. There's a six year player transferred here. He had two prior ACLs, comes to us. Like, my staff and I were just like, golly, like this is whatever. And he was so butthurt because he came in thinking he was going to be the guy. And at the end of the offseason, like we ranked all the players and he's down at the bottom. And he thought it's because I disliked him. And the players were trying to tell him, they're like, Lima, A, likes you. B, it's just You math. literally like, have it's these literally like- your objective exactly <laughs> he's they're like do you see the numbers to the left of your name it's not oh i dislike this kid it's literally yours like you're slow in your week compared to your peers yeah. that's it it's it's not that i don't like you you're actually a really nice yeah. person however you're slow in your week that's it <laughs> which is not a character flaw so, necessarily no it's not but i mean it is, it what, is it what it is. is all right so so you've got all these metrics that you are looking at, you're assessing, you're doing some statistical stuff. That's really cool. And we did all of this too. Sorry to interrupt, but we did all of that that I just talked about. That was because, again, I do have a little bit of spite in terms of we're going to get things done regardless. I am super proud of my upbringing from my parents and how they raised me to just be disciplined and get things done. Like, Let's not talk about it. Let's be about it. And so that same administrator that would was the literal reason why people would leave. They would tell him and everybody else, like, I can't work for him. And he'd be like, oh, they they just don't understand. I'm just, I'm too hard on them. They don't understand. Like, they can't handle tough coaching. And it's like, when 14 people tell you that they don't want to work for you, you should change. (laughs) Anyways, 
that same person was like, oh, when I got, when I was getting recruited to work there, so in 2018, yeah, we're building out this dashboard in this app and we're going to figure out. And he wa- he wanted to try to get into this predictive modeling of injury. And I'm like, you can't predict injury. It doesn't matter. We're working on a dash. And I was like, you know what? I took what we did at Iowa and that's where I was able to graph the players like progress report, put the graph on it. And I went to all these extremes to be like, stop talking about it, be about it. So we tracked the player's health over time because the other part that drove me insane was, and any of our listeners to this might feel this way, an athletic trainer will be like, oh, hey, Johnny or Jane athletes hurt their knee, they're, but they're, look, their jump test now is better than it was at baseline. Yo, baseline was it when they were a freshman, and now they're a senior. Stop it. So we would be constantly measuring. Like I said, one of the metrics was double leg broad jump, but we also did a single leg to double leg land. And we took it to make sure that we had that metric at least once every six months. So that way it was a real number for the athlete. So we're doing all of that in addition to running a different research study. So when the dissertation was done, I partnered with two professors on campus, the kinesiology professor and a department head of the business analytics college. And we ran a study to see how does performance as measured by vertical jump and balance when you counter, when you look at sleep, stress, hydration, nutrition, all those ones that were really important, how does it affect balance and vertical jump performance, right? And you, so you would balance on a standing force plate or you would then jump on a force plate and you would do it on the balance force plate because we could say sway and we could say foot displacement and we can see all of the different metrics that the kinesiology professor was great. She did her dissertation on foot. I did mine on jumping. So we would look at eccentric rate of force development, exit velocity. And had so we had that study going on in the on and off season in addition to everything else that we did. So that's why like my assistants were like, keeping up with you was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah for sure. But I'm obsessive, like seriously. I, and it's, I, I, it's because I think I was raised properly by my parents. But I also like, yeah, there was a lot of wrong about what Doyle did and how he treated people. But you still also did learn to get things done and to do it the right way and just to truly to find ways to get it done. Don't talk about it, be about it. And that's kind of my philosophy. So tonight, you and I are going to, to a high school strength clinic. And I can't wait for that because, uh, so I, I know I'm going to talk about Strength Coach Network later, but the whole, like being a coach, I got into this to make athletes' lives better because Rainy Moyen made my life better as a player. I got bigger, faster, stronger because of him. I worked with him. I lived at his house, slept on his couch, slept on the couch at the gym when I was helping him build the new gym, became a strength coach because I actually worked as a position coach at the school that I coached or played at for two years, fell in love with the weight room more than coaching, didn't want to be away from my family, wanted to be a a strength coach. And I also wanted to impact more lives because as the strength coach, I was so sick at Towson of being here in the offensive line coach. Like, How'd the old line do? Bro, how about how the whole team did? Can we stop? Can we please just worry about how the whole team did. So I like affecting large groups of people and having that ripple effect. So now to have this platform at Strength Coach Network where I can help coaches and hear their questions and be able to serve them. And Jake Lewis is a friend of mine who Jake and I, Jake let me train at his weight room when I would visit, when I was working at Towson and I'd come and visit my in-laws and I wanted a real gym to go train at. My father-in-law knew the head football coach at DCG through church 
And I was able to get the head coach's number from my father-in-law who gave me Jake's number and Jake and I just stayed in contact. So yeah. I'm excited to go and hear and be able to try to help serve that population and just hear the things that they're talking about. Yeah. So yes, yeah, same here. And the reason I bring that up is because there may be a high school coach listening to this, a small college coach listening, strength coach listening to this, people that are in charge of hundreds of athletes, maybe by themselves. And I know a frustration that I've had in the past, and they might be frustrated a little bit listening to what you're talking about because they're like, okay, that's, that all sounds amazing and really cool. How the heck do I take what you just went over and apply it to my situation with all the different things you're looking at, the different programs, the different ways you're tweaking things, give the big rocks to people. Cause that's where as a small school strength coach, I, I was so interested in these individualization things and sports science and wanting to get into trying to track more things. Cause I wanted to identify what are the things that truly matter. And then yeah. I could get rid of the rest. Just let's get, let's find out what truly matters to my athletes and their performance. And then not really worry about all the other stuff. Where, where, do, where do so the, people like in those situations go from here? So like I said, great question. And the, the first thing I'd say is small school, college versus high school, whether it's big or not, completely different. Because with high school, you have a different beast. You got to look at, are they coming in to lift during the middle of the day? Are they lifting before? Are they lifting after? Are they a three-sport athlete, four-sport athlete, one-sport athlete? Like that in of itself is a different beast. So for them, first and foremost, figure out how often you're going to train them. Understand that the athlete's going to be way more novice than you realize. Stop worrying about teaching them the Olympic lift until maybe their senior year and only do the Olympic lift if they actually have to do it when they go to their college. Maybe you could teach them a snatch and a jerk, but stop cleaning them. Do the power complex instead. And find out, like, get weird with your own thoughts in terms of what are the me measurables you want to use, whether it's an upper body, like what's your upper body strength assessment, what's your lower body strength assessment, what's your power assessment and figure out how you can measure it at your school and how you can measure it at scale accurately and val of reliably and valid. Then if, again, if you want help with this, Justin at strengthcoachnetwork.com, reach out to me. The small school college, same thing. But understand that you're not going to have the same difficulties that a high school strength coach will. You don't have your athlete playing different sports. You're going to have your statistical outlier. That's going to be less than 1% of your athletes that play a different sport. So figure out again, what are the measurables that matter to you? And then figure out how you want to accurately and reliably assess them. And don't just have training test, like testing days where it's, hey, this is 100%. And this is the test day. And this is the only day that you can get your test out. That's why I fully love using Team Builder. Had them since 2019. If you teach your athletes to use Team Builder properly, they type in the weights that they use, they help you on the back end, and you can get work done at home. I am a workaholic. Ask my wife. I'm a psychopath about work. I'm a psychopath about perfection. I want things to be great. I go to bed at eight o'clock. I wake up at four. Now, this morning, I spent more time with my wife, uh, but typically I will wake up at four start my work day. And that's because I only have 24 hours in a day. I need to spend time with my wife and my kids because those things last forever. And then the next job is my job. I don't have hobbies outside of you and I talked before. I like jujitsu. I like kickboxing. I like lifting weights. I like doing fun things. But what I really like is I like helping people and I'm obsessed about it. 
So I don't, I, I had a conversation with an intern who's at Alabama football earlier this week. And he's talking to me about, Oh, they're at, I'm doing some stuff with other teams on campus, not just football. And I don't have time. I'm like, bro, you're 21 years old as an undergrad. What are you talking to me about time? What else like, are you doing? You, you, exactly. I'm like, stop. He's well, I want to do, I was like, you have shiny object syndrome. Stop. You need to just focus on one thing. So that's how I found time to do it. I wouldn't just, my wife likes to watch TV. Cool. You want to put on some trash TV? I'll sit next to you and show you that I love you. I'm lucky that her love language is just quality time and it doesn't have to be quality time where we're talking. It's quality time and interacting. And I can, yeah, I can have my laptop and I can work on team builder while I am um, sitting next to her. Or I can work on all those documents I talked about. I had them on SharePoint or I had them on a Google Drive and I could just work on it remotely when I'm thinking and obsessing about my job. So that's where I would figure out like, what are the things that you want to do? And I also want to tell you this, I'm speaking this with such reality. It was not like that when I first got to Towson, y'all. Literally, when I, you have to prioritize and execute. I will quote Jocko Willink on this. You have to prioritize and execute what is the most important thing. When I got to Towson, the old strength coach literally told the athletes, don't talk to the nutritionist. He made that, he made the old athletic, him and the old athletic trainer didn't get along at all. Old, the other strength and conditioning coaches on staff, he told the athletes not to talk to them. There was no scheduled lift times. The kids would kind of show up whenever they wanted. There was no testing. There was no periodization. They didn't know how to pair exercises. I will say that again. I got to Towson. Day one, we had, this was back when I was still programming them. We had hang power cleaned, paired with med ball side toss, paired with ankle mobility. The athletes had no idea, even though on the lift card, it said A1, the exercise. Underneath pair it, it said pair <laughs> minute 30 rest. Didn't They didn't they had never paired exercises. That we didn't, Towson did not have laser timers. I had a pro day in March with a broken vertex and no laser timing gates. And this is after five years at Iowa where we were petrified if a cone was in the wrong oh, spot. Yeah from how we ran our, like our pro days at Iowa, you can Google them. Like you can Google NFL pro day, Iowa. And the articles would be like flawless execution by Chris Doyle and his staff. So like I understood how to run a pro day and I'm like, I'm like, sorry guys, I don't have any of this technology. <laughs> and then luckily I went to Rob and I'm like, Rob, this is a bad look for like, again, it's a bad look for me, but it's, it's even worse for your football team that you have a broken veins of the vertex. You don't have laser timing gates. So we didn't have, we weren't able to do that right away because it was prioritize and execute. The athletes had never done speed and lift or lift then speed because at Towson, the weight room wasn't near the fields. So eventually we did it. But again, we had to prioritize and execute. And that's the beauty of, I was in year five. Like if you think about in American football, when a new OC or DC gets hired, their full scheme is not implemented until year three and four, right? Same with me. My full scheme wasn't implemented until COVID hit and just threw a bomb on all. But then once we got back from COVID, like realistic, because I got hired in 18. So we have 18, 19, 20, 20. COVID shocked the world. But in that January, March, we were January, February, March, we were where I wanted. But then, and then we came back, dealt with the COVID BS, but then we were able to kind of get back into rolling. Like, Speaking about COVID and, and prioritizing and executing, we got back and we were, I mean, we were in the state of Maryland, very liberal state. So it was a pain in the neck to do anything there. 
And what we did was Rob and I were like, listen, Rob, and kudos to him. He's listen, what's the first thing you do when you're in a hole? He's like, you stop digging. He's like, we finally have these athletes back on campus. If we come into the weight room and if anybody tests positive, it's all going to get shut down. He's like, just train them outside. Like, just keep lifting outside. Because when we got on campus in August of August and September of 2020, it was outdoor training mandated for at least four weeks. Then after four weeks and testing, you could get back in the weight room. He's like, just stay outside. And so we ran a bastardized one by 20. We ran a, and we did it oh, like offense lifted first, defense lifted, defense was in the field doing some like skills and drills with the team. Defense would come down. I would have the defense and the offense would go and do the same thing, right? In the middle, they would do a little bit of special teams. And so what we did was, all right, if I have the whole offense out there lifting, my myself and my two assistants, skill guys, you're going to start with speed work, everybody else inside, like inside the box. So inside linebacker, tight end, fullback, O-line, you're going to lift. Everybody else is going over there to do their speed work because it's, look, linemen need to lift more than the skill guys. Prioritize and execute. Put the shovel down. Figure out what the most important thing is. Then worry about collecting. We weren't worried about collecting data and doing all that during COVID. You just had to survive, for sure. right? Like you're in a prize fight. You just have to live. So that's my first suggestion to you all is understand, prioritize, and execute. You're not. It's not going to be built in a day. So find your metrics. Work backwards from it. This is something that we do at Strength Coach Network. We help our members, right? If you become a member, we help you. We work and we help you reverse engineer the questions and problems you have. That's part of what we do. So, so I want to kind of hone in on something you said right there. Find your metrics. And you kind of mentioned a little bit like earlier, you mentioned find what matters to you. When it came to, again, trying to identify the factors and the things that we need to do as sports performance coaches that really impact on-field performance, I always felt like, well, it's not what matters to me. It's what matters to like the actual, what the research is showing, you know? So that's where I always felt yes, like, well, matters. yes, I was taught that certain things matter, like a uh, one rep max hang power clean. But I, over time I'm like, well, I'm not really sure that matters anymore. So should I be really caring about that? <laughs> so what, what, what's your advice there? Because just because someone might, someone might say, well, I care about squat bench dead. Are those the right things to care about? Are those the right metrics? I, yeah. So what I would then I'd recommend is the Farnham street books. I got them over here. The mental models books. I think Shane Parrish wrote them, but one of the, one of the mental models and Nick DeMarco eloquent and Kier both talk about this better than I do. Their, their memory is unbelievable, but the whole notion of is ask why kind of like a child. Right? So I have two kids. I have a five and a half year old and a four year old. God love them. They say, wow, why all the time. <laughs> yeah. And to, to their credit, it's they're just curious and so are adults right and jonas dodo talked about this when we were on the show together he's like i have to catch myself when my kid keeps asking me why and i get mad at him but he's being curious and i have to help him explain that because humans need to be curious it's there what's the why and if your why and i said this to parents and at recruits when they were there i said this to the athletes my why will never be because i said so because we've always done it this way, or they did it at X school. It will never be that. It will be rooted in research, but it will also be rooted in practical experience. So I said, it can't just be research. It can't just be practical experience. It needs to be the duality. It's the art and the science. So 
find out, ask yourself why, what is the method and what is the principle? I'll say that again. What is the method? What is the principle? So the method might be a back squat. The principle is bilateral push into the ground. So you could then say, okay, or by like bilateral leg strength. Okay. I want to do. And the reason I'm saying that is, okay, an athlete has an injured shoulder. They can't do your back squat. They need to do a bilateral squat. So if you have a pit shark, you take them to a pit shark. They can't do a pit shark. You take them to a single arm uh, goblet front squat. They can't do that. Put a belt around their waist, hang some plates. They can do a squat. Can't do that. Freak. Looks like we're going to go to unilateral and do some lunch. You know what I mean? What's your regression off of what you have? And ask yourself why. So it's, oh, well, we look at clean and that's what tells us if we're powerful. Why? Well, because why? Well, that's what the research says. What research? From who? The Soviets, the Bulgarians, the people that were only training Olympians who were, they went and trained for two hours, then got shoved into a a cave or they got shoved into a room where they weren't allowed to do anything. And then they had to go and train again eight hours later. That's not your athlete that's at school and doing things like stop, ask questions. Don't be so like Rob said it best. Logic and reason died in 2020 for a part of the world. Ask questions and, and do it in a polite way. Don't be a jerk. I can be a jerk sometimes. But do it in a polite way to ask questions, probe questions, ask it in a curious way and say why. And if by the end of your, and I say that about Shane Parrish's book, if you get to the end of your five whys and you don't have a real reason, you, it's, it's, not, it's dog, don't do it. Like, oh, we run one tens. Why? For speed development. Really? You Okay. 110 yards. Why that distance? Well, when you keep asking the question, what is 16 times 110? It's the same distance as if you ran a mile. So all they did was they took the mile time and broke it up so they could make it seem rather than saying, hey, what's your mile test for your fitness? It was, hey, let's run, rest and repeat as it looks like football. Well, why was that okay back then versus let's break it down even more in some more truly football specific stuff. So ask your five whys. And if you are not rooted in a method and you're rooted in a principle, you have a problem and you need to figure it out. And you need to truly dive within yourself because at the end of the day, you're here to serve these athletes, not only just in the weight room, but as people, you don't want to be doing dogmatic things in the weight room because then the ripple effect, you're going to teach these young kids or older people dogmic thinking. And we have too much dogma in the world. And I truly believe that you can use strength and conditioning as a vehicle to make people's lives. That's a good, I'm glad you brought up the five whys. So tell us what that drill or what that uh, exercise is. That's a, it can be really powerful. Yeah, to me, it is. It, it really is that simple. Hey, we're going to do this. Why? Come up with an answer. Okay, that based off that, why? Okay, based off that, why? And, and again, if by the end of you asking why five times, if you don't have a powerful reason rooted in um, principle, you're in a bad spot. Hey, we're going to back squat today. Why? We need a, we need a bilateral push. Why? Well, we have not hit a bilateral push in two weeks. I want to make sure. And when we do a bilateral push, we can handle more load than when we do a unilateral push. Why? Well, we have both feet on the ground, so we're more stable, so we can handle more weight. Why? Why does that matter? Well, we can get a greater growth hormone release and help systemic testosterone in the body to help them get bigger, faster, stronger, and enhance strength of the athlete. So that way their muscles, tendons, and ligaments are able to handle greater stress. Why? Well, that matters because they're going to play in a field. Like, so at least if you can keep answering the question, it's okay, shoot, there's a good reason behind this. It's not, well, we're going to back. Why? Well, when I was at, I was at Iowa, we squatted like they did 
a lot of squats at Iowa. So we're going to squat at Iowa. Huh? Come on, man. There's got to be more than that. So yeah, it's a great way to just to challenge your own assumptions and your own biases and see what am I really basing this off of? Now, my analytical brain always says the answers to those still matter when used in this context, because I was still always like wondering, okay, let's say I, let's say I do have a reason for something I, um, that could still be wrong. You know what I mean? Like it's, my answer that could still be wrong to who though. Again, that's me like wrong to who it could be wrong. So, you know, I, I think about textbooks a lot, right? A lot of people bash on textbooks, right? Oh, this is what you'll find in it. I'm not, I love this textbooks. is what you'll find in textbooks, but it's not really that way anymore. So if you are like going by the book, quote unquote, and that's your reasoning, there's some, some people might say, well, that's flawed reasoning or that's not uh, relevant anymore. The science doesn't show that anymore, or the practice doesn't show this anymore. Well, this is what the textbook says. That's not real life, quote unquote. That's not what the practice say, is saying. That's not what the art is saying. It's just an interesting, that's where my mind goes with that. So I learned the five whys from a counseling standpoint, nutrition counseling. So when helping people identify what their true reason for doing something is, that's how I learned the five whys. So if you say, I want to you know, gain 10 pounds of muscle and you say, why? And then they say, well, I want to look you know, better on the beach. Why? Why, why, why? And then the fifth why, that's your real reason. So, but it's also can apply to this context just to challenge your own biases and things like that. I would challenge anybody that says textbooks like that's again, I hate the blanket statements because and I think that was a blanket statement, <laughs> but like, what if like, what if you write a book? I'm in the process of, I have the title of the book and how I'm going to write my book. And I want to take, I'm taking time before this thing comes out right now. We're talking in December of 2023. Realistically, my book's not going to come out until 2025, 2026. Like another one of my buddies, Ryan Pineda wrote, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna write a book. And I'm saying all of this because there are some tried and true principles. Like when we got on this call and I saw your books, I'm like, man, like I instantly got excited because in I'm in my office right here and I'm looking down and triphasic is still, like, I think that's a great book. I have that same high performance training book right down here. Zatsorsky's book, Mike Boyle's book. There are some tried and true, fantastic books that can stand time. In the Lindy effect, there's power to that. So yes, that maybe there is just more and more bad books being published because just like I learned in my uh, dissertation study, just because it's an article doesn't mean it's actually done right. There's schools that they reward people for having to oh, yeah. put out more and more publications. So maybe there's just books that are getting shoved down your throat that like, yes, that's unfortunate. It forces us to, as a consumer to filter through more BS. But I'll tell you what, man, when you find something that's really good and really tried and true, to, and then you can recommend it to people and you can help change their lives with a book, like, sheesh. Well, yeah, you're speaking to my heart there, man, for sure. Hey, Justin, man, this has been great. I, I truly appreciate all your thoughts and the, th- and the things that you've shared today. Is there anything else you want to say to the listener about this topic or about some of the things you've shared as a takeaway or just kind of a last and final word on this? Um, yeah, I would say don't underestimate the value that you can have working with your athletes. And just like anything else we do working with them, there's always going to be the difficult times. So for me, like the minute we would do our contact prep and we were going to talk about this and have me on the show later, we'll talk about the contact prep or I plan on filming the talk at later on in May when I give it. But 
my point is when we would start our contact prep and we would do our roll progression, the minute like, all right, guys, toes on the line, we're going to roll. Uh, uh, <laughs> right? Every time. Yep. Well, and it, yep. It's fine. Okay, cool, whatever. And then the very first time a football got brought out and they were doing seven on seven and somebody dove and they caught a ball and they rolled. They look at me and they say, that's why oh, we yeah. were listening. I said, you're damn right. <laughs> Or in 2018, when I first got to Towson, they never trained neck. And we're playing Villanova on the road, a top 10 team. Yeedy Thanrat runs down on kickoff and lays the dude out. Fumble, pick it up, scoop and score. We're now up seven. They're like, y'all got to train here. Right? So it's like getting them to believe in what you're doing. It's always difficult. Don't forget the impact you have with them. Because I still have guys, when I left Towson, they were upset that I got let go. They still talk to me. They like you will still like one of the girls who I worked with for softball babysat my boys when I was still living in Towson. I used to have the throwers over that. Like, so you can have a really powerful impact. And I say all of this, don't mail it in, guys. I've seen so many coaches mail it in. That's why we exist at Strength Coach Network. When I was working for softball, I was trying to help find a better conditioning test. I'm calling teams that are in the College World Series and they're running a mile. They're running half gassers and their reasoning was awful. So that's why we exist is to bridge the gap for coaches so they can better serve the athletes they work with. So those athletes can have the best student athlete experience or athlete experience wherever they're at. Just don't underestimate the value and the impact that a good coach can have because I'm the product of it. And chances are, if you're listening to this and you've made it this far, you are too. So give back, and if you want to see better, be better. I'll also say that Strength Coach Network will also help you make it a viable long-term. So you guys, you, you don't just do training. You, you guys help out with crew development, right? Like you do, how do you make your finances work? Resume prep, and, interview yeah. prep. Yeah, so like we even, our webinar this month, anybody, again, if you're listening now, it's December. Our webinar this month is so all of our webinars have to come out from people that work in athletics, high performance, whatever terminology you want to use. And we had to niche down with the name Strength Coach Network at first, but we have athletic trainers, nutritionists, physios, high performance managers inside the network. Anyways, in order to present, you have to actually have earned a living working with athletes. It can't be theory. So our presenter this month talked about fundraising for a department. She's a strength coach who's worked in softball, football, tennis, cross country, and worked in sales prior. So she had a background in sales and fundraising, and then she found her passion in strength and conditioning. So it's how can we teach strength coaches what she learned in her other world? The month prior, we talked about on-field rehab with a coach who's worked in football, American football, rugby, major league baseball, basketball, professional soccer. Like you think you can't learn something from him? Or like the field hockey presentation. Sure, maybe you don't think field hockey is cool, but if you just got hired and you have to work with field hockey, you probably want to learn from somebody that just won an Olympic bronze medal. So all of our stuff is brought to you by coaches that have actually done it. We have the career development forum where people post questions about how to progress in their own career, resume critique, interview prep. People have gotten jobs and been like, hey, thanks for the the feedback. It really helped me out. Or People will say, hey, I'm running a test on this group of athletes. I want anybody to have some standardized data. and That's what we're there to help with too. So if you're listening to this and it's December, go ahead and take advantage of our long-form education course promotion. So not only do we have the membership site, we have our long-form 20-hour education resource that 
is brought to you by coaches from SEC, ACC, Big Ten, professional sport in four different countries, precision nutrition, former NFL athletes talking to you about how to get better, speed, power, hypertrophy, nutrition, financial robustness, jumps, agility training, mental models. It's all the things that we talked about. It's a long form education course, module by module. You sign up for that. We're going to throw in a free year to the membership site. If you listen to this later, because it got released later, again, email me, Justin at Strength Coach Network. I will hook you up and make sure that you get the same discount only to listeners from this show. Awesome. That's uh, that's great, man. Yeah, lots of great content on Strength Coach Network. It's a great resource. So yeah, everything will be linked in the show notes as well. And Justin, you're on Instagram, you're on Twitter. So if you, uh, you'll find him if you search. So yeah, pretty easy. It's a picture of my face, bald head, beard. I got a red shirt on. So pretty easy to find me. If you Google me, Justin Lima, you'll be able to see my Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, all that'll pop up pretty quickly. So our YouTube, same thing. YouTube is Strength Coach Network. Twitter or X is Strength Coach Network. Awesome. Hey, man, thanks so much for your time today. You're welcome, brother. Thank you for listening to the Performance Connection podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review, share on social media, and on Instagram, tag at Performance Connection Podcast, all one word. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any medical condition. Thanks again, and I hope you'll keep listening or check out other episodes.